Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. I'm still kind of in independent messages. I'm not really doing a series, but I think I might hang out on the idea of prayer for a few weeks. So today, I want to jump into this message called Quantum Entanglement and the Power of Prayer. I know, I know, I know. Too much Star Trek? I actually don't like Star Trek, so... Uh, but I like science, so is Star Trek science? That was a test. That was a test. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so what in the world does that mean? Okay, here's I have, I have a couple of goals here. Number one, I want to restore our confidence and hope in prayer. Prayer is powerful. It just absolutely is. And I think sometimes when we pray, we don't recognize how powerful it can be. So I want to use kind of a modern-day metaphor parable from science to reflect into the power of prayer. I'm not, I'm not going to try to build some type of case that the quantum realm is the spiritual realm. I'm not trying to dig out any kind of mysteries to teach you some kind of secret or nothing like that. It's just, okay, this is how the physical world works at the smallest level. And then Romans 1.20 says this, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Now, catch what he's saying here. The invisible things are clearly seen. How? Being understood by the things that are made. And now is those that have rejected. Essentially, what he's saying is you should be able to even think, but there's also this principle here, created realm. You can understand the invisible realm by observing that which is made. And and it's just insight. Now, what does that look like? Jesus used that principle in his parables about sowing, sowing seeds, right? Farming principles he used, investment, finance type metaphors. So, so that's what this is. This is not a science lesson because I'm not a scientist and I'm probably not necessarily going to explain all these terms and processes exactly right, but it's a metaphor in that, oh my goodness, if even the physical observable realm operates this way, how much more that invisible spiritual realm reflects that? Because the created realm reflects the invisible spiritual realm. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So I want to restore our hope in the power of prayer, you know, because, and everything has been politicized, has it not? Even prayer. You see uh, in, in political parties debating and having these conversations and, you know, the parties love to take their special different oppressed groups and leverage them against other groups, and it's all just usury and gross, really. But there was kind of a movement, and there was even a hashtag going around the Internet that said, um, we need more than prayer. I can't remember exactly what it was, but 
You know, we need action, not prayer. Because to a large group of those people that were combating the idea of prayer, what they were saying is, prayer does nothing. Don't send me your well wishes. Take some action. And, and that's the sentiment. And I think even that idea has crept into our mindsets too. It's like, well, I pray, and I don't see anything happen, so therefore, why should I even pray? Now, don't raise your hand. I'm, again, don't raise your hand. But have you ever felt like, ah, I don't, I, mean, no, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to pray because I don't really think it would do any good. Or, yeah, you raise his foot, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, but, or it's like, I've prayed before nothing happened, and it diminishes your expectation of the power of prayer, right? Well, I understand that. And, and we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about the heart. We talk a lot about receiving and experiencing the things that Jesus died for us to experience. The receptivity that Jesus teaches in Mark 4, the receptivity of your heart to the promises of God, the kingdom of God, the seed of the word of God. It's kind of all wrapped up together to those things that Jesus paid for. The receptivity of your heart, in other words, that area that you believe from, will determine the degree of the kingdom that will manifest into your life. That's the 30, 60, and 100-fold of the word sown. And it's not God determining the degree. It's the receptivity of your heart to embrace it and receive it and cultivate it and let it be birthed into your life as fruit, as provision, or whatever it might be. And we're not talking about whether or not you have enough faith to make the seed grow because Jesus corrects that thinking by saying, here's how it works. The farmer casts seed in the ground. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. He doesn't know how it happens, but the seed produces after its own kind, which then draws back to the validity of the idea, the receptivity of the soil or your heart is what determines. And the receptivity of your heart is not how, how much faith you put on that seed, how hard you confess it, how hard you pray. It's really how much are you in agreement with who God says he is? If you want to have great faith, be fully persuaded of who God is and what he said, like Abraham and Sarah, who were given this great promise of a nation being birthed through them. It was when their hearts were fully persuaded, then they were at a place where it could be birthed into their lives. Now, if you read the story of Abraham and Sarah and come away with the conclusion that once they were faithful, then God gave them the blessing, then to me, that's almost like a Newtonian type of idea, cause and effect. You did good, so now you get good. In other words, you obeyed faithfully, so now I'm going to give you the promise and the blessing. That's one way to look at it, and there are some people that read it that way, and you're not going to convince them to read it another way, and that's fine. But there's a different way to read it, and that is God made the promise. He put the probability or the possibility out there. So the promise was out. God had spoken it. Now it was up to them to host that promise in their hearts unto fruit, unto fruition. Do you see the difference? One is I obeyed, I became faithful, and then God gave it to me. The other is God has declared his desire now I have to host that word and facilitate its growth to bear fruit in my life. That's my responsibility. And what chokes out that process is me looking out into the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world and the lust of other things chokes out that word 
that God has spoken, that I have received, that is attempting to grow and can limit or constrict its growth into my life. So it's not how hard you believe or how much faith that you have. It's how convinced are you of what God has said. Amen? Amen. So that idea is kind of what I want to pull from in terms of prayer, praying for ourselves, praying for other people, praying for people on the other side of the world. Do you believe that you can pray for other people on the other side of the world and it actually makes a difference? Well, this quantum stuff kind of seems to give us some insight into how that works, especially the idea of entanglement. All right, so pray for me real quick because these are terms that are like, it's, you know, even the people that study this stuff daily, like they can articulate it, but they don't really fully understand some of the concepts that are happening. So I read, I've, this is something that I've read it's just like I am interested in it. I love reading about these things. It, it gives me insight. It, it makes me appreciate God's intelligence more. You know what I mean by that? It's like you look at how things are made and how things enter, even the immune system. You look at the immune system and you're like, man, God is incredible to develop something like this. And not only is it just a physical process, but it's part of his character in that your immune system is trying to bring you to the healthiest, optimal state that a body can be in. That's what your immune system is doing. That's what God designed for you. God wants you well just by your immune system. And then you couple in that Jesus came down here and showed us God's will too, putting his hands on people and healing them. It's just what God wants, right? So, uh, you know, God is... is sorry, so here, let me... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read... So I've read about this stuff for a long time, and I put this in my words, and I'm just going to read part of this back to you uh, and try to make it as clear and simple as possible, as much as we can. So we're talking about the idea of quantum mechanics and what it is learning and understanding. Quantum is basically just small. So we're talking about the behavior of matter and particles and forces and energy at the smallest level that can be observed. Uh, so just the study of small things, essentially, is what quantum mechanics is. And one of the big ideas is that the laws of physics seem to be different at that small level. In other words, things don't behave like they should. They should be in one place, and they're not. They should be constantly a particle, but sometimes they aren't particles, they're waves. If you want to do a little bit more research into this, go watch a video on the double slit experiment. It's incredible. How many of you ever kind of watched the video? Yeah, so there's a lot of people that are at least aware of that. Um, so I wrote this. Let me just read it. Protons, neutrons, quarks, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. Even now, this thing in CERN, you know, the, the large particle hadron collider in Switzerland, they're trying to actually discover more bits. They're trying to discover new forces, new particles. They, a few years back, they think they discovered something called the Higgs boson particle, which they were looking for the God particle, which would be a particle that explains all the missing information that seems to be missing, right? So the standard model of physics is like these four forces and the basic particles that make up our standard Newtonian understanding of physics, cause and effect. Well, what they've walked away from realizing is that human observation actually changes the way particles will behave. Even back in time. Where, is Lee in here? 
What's the name of that one, the one experiment where it seems to change their observation, changes the way it behaved in the past? Delayed, something delayed. You and I were talking about it the other day. Anyway, would you actually look it up for me if you would, just, just so that it's in the message and we can get the reference there. So the double slit experiment, look that up. Anybody else know? The people that are studying it. Kelly, I know that you're probably maybe one of the smartest people in here. I don't know. He's a, no. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? The one that they did where they, it seemed to change how particles behaved in the, yeah, okay. He'll find the name of it, and then you can look it up. It sounds like I'm making this stuff up, but I'm telling you, you go read about these experiments on your own. So all the stuff and the small bits of matter that make up atoms and cells seem to fluctuate between states. Let's take this chair. Let's say we've got a chair. And at another point, it's a, like, a, like a wave of light. It disperses its, its particles and functions as a wave of light. Star Trek type stuff, right? But that's what they're seeing in the quantum realm. Now, my examples, they're probably maybe better ones, but in my understanding, that's what it seems to be. And so um, they fluctuate seemingly between waves and particles, even on the inside of a cell, which sounds impossible, but has been proven to be the reality. So how do they know that it, they fluctuate? Even protons will fluctuate between an actual particle. I'm not going to say physical because the wave seems to have physical. Now, this might be a little bit technical, so let me geek out here for a minute. Just let me geek out, and I'll bring it back to Scripture. Some people are like, yeah. And the rest of you are like, mm, what's that for lunch? Oh, Bible. I'll come, I'll come back in a minute. Just give me, just give me a minute here. Um, uh, so what happens is they'll, they'll look at an atom, which has protons and neutrons, and you know, they're paired together, and there'll be positive and negative polarities, and one goes this way and one goes this way, and they spin. And, and what they thought for a lot of time was that, remember, you remember the old, and I should have brought a picture, but the, the, the model of an atom, and it was like the atom had a circle, there was a nucleus, and then there were protons and neutrons that orbited the nucleus. If you remember those, you've seen those pictures, and it looks like a, it looks like a static circle or oval around a nucleus. Well, what they recognize now is that it's not that. There is the cell, there is the nucleus, but those bits on the inside seem to kind of phase in and out of substance. They're, they're, they're popping in and out. So the neutron and the protons will manifest, and that's a word I'm choosing, manifest, or become coherent, because the process of them becoming decoherent, they call it decoherence. That's what they're trying to understand now, this slice of phase shifting from a particle to a wave is decoherence. And they don't know yet really what that is. They know some things about that aspect. So you've got an atom, you've got the nucleus, and you've got the bits of proton, neutron, quarks, neutrino, all these things on the inside. And they seem to be phasing in and out of like actual, not, I won't say existence, but states. They're phasing between states. And when they phase into that state of superposition, then what they know is how to, where it might be when it comes back, there's a probability that it will be within this observable range. So in other, in other words, rather than just imagine a BB circling a basketball, rather than just constantly being able to watch this thing go around this thing, it's like it goes away. And it's like, okay, based on its speed and velocity, the mass of it, and its 
last trajectory, we think it will end up here. So imagine if I take that chair and I throw it safely over there, because <laughs> I know how people are. All right, I throw it over there and then it, it spreads out and dephases, beam me up, Scotty. You know, it departicalizes up to, thanks for the Star Trek, I'm gonna use that over there. <laughs> but you get it, you get kind of the point, right? Imagine if it could do that. I throw the, and, and we're, we're, but it's not far from what's actually happening as far as like a proton or neutron or quark, a particle actually doing this. So I pick up that chair, I throw it that direction, and it starts to arc kind of like this, and then it phases out. Now, if you know its speed, you know its mass, you know its trajectory, you know the gravity you're factoring in, you can assume it's going to hit the ground there. Whatever it is that makes that up is going to hit the ground there. But then when it actually comes back in, maybe it's off a little bit. Maybe it's behind or in front or under. And so there's a range of probability that this thing will then be in its more solid state. But then quantum physics has said and recognized, okay, I'm going to throw this chair and it's going to arc. And so rather than it becoming back into this particle, rather than a wave closer to the uh, top of its arc or bottom of its arc in this observable measurable range, I'm going to decide it's going to end up in the parking lot. And guess what? It then ends up in the parking lot. And we, go all, we all go out there and we see it out there in the parking lot. That's what's happening in the, what they're recognizing. In, now, again, I'm trying to make it make sense to myself, but human observation and expectation seems to change it. Now, they, don't, they will warn you, particle physicists, they will warn you, no, you can't just decide what it's going to do. However, human observation does affect its behavior. So we'll at least say that. Um, now, let me make sure I'm getting caught up in my notes here. So Einstein called this spooky action. And then there's the at a distance aspect. You ever heard that phrase, spooky action at a distance? Those of you guys that are in science, you've heard him describe that. And he, this is, these are the things that he's talking about. So then there's this idea of quantum. So that's quantum activity, spooky action, things, doing things. That, and, and, and physics, the laws of physics seeming to not apply on that way. Now, if I'm losing you, it's okay. I'll give you permission. I'll reel you back in here in a minute. Um, but uh, remember, we're looking at what's observable to understand that which is unseen, and we're talking about prayer. So keep your mind kind of on prayer, but listen, and I'm, as I'm trying to kind of work through these ideas, think about how this can affect prayer, because what they will say is that this chair or this particle, once it phases into a different state of a wave function, then it really, there's an unlimited aspect of possibilities of where it could manifest and come back again. So it exists in this state of superposition where it's just up, it's, it's an unlimited potential of where, where it could be. All right, so then you couple this idea of quantum entanglement. So at that quantum realm, stuff's behaving and acting that way. Quantum entanglement is, let's say we have two chairs or two particles and you affect them, there's like, apparently there's like four ways that it can become, particles can become entangled. 
Now, they're actually working on quantum computing, and, which is mind-blowing. I'll explain what that means here in a minute. Some people think it won't ever happen, but the theory is being worked on. So let's say we got these two chairs. You're holding these two chairs, and you laser pulse energize them and activate the particles together, and somehow they become connected, whereas you turn one one way, and then the other has the corresponding opposite action in terms of Let's flip this one on, this one flips off. You flip this one polarity, this one takes upon the, itself the other polarity. And, and, you know, it gets really technical when you're trying to understand that aspect, but just imagine like a, a pair of gloves, right? They're created to be together, but you got a left and a right, and they, you know, they work simultaneously, but they're yet independent but connected when they're on a, one person's body and working together. So quantum entanglement is... Let's say we bombard these two chairs, these particles, with laser pulses, and we, then we remove one of them out to the parking lot, and then we affect this one where it turns this way, and then somebody's out there watching it, radioing back that the other one is turned. Connection for information, and there's all kind of different theories that are coming about about what that is. What they're deducing is that somehow these two particles are entangled and connected, and interact with each other apart from space or time. In other words, time is not a factor. There's nothing that seems to be connecting these together. Now, let's take it, but it gets even weirder, which is where they're trying to get into quantum computing. Let's say that this one chair that's in here and the other one that's out there in the parking lot, I can write information. Let's say we tape a piece of notebook paper onto the chair, right? and we write information on it, like maybe a message to the person out there. And then guess what happens? The same information appears on that chair out there the exact same time. You with me? That's quantum entanglement. That's theoretical in terms of quantum computing, and it, but we think of it in terms of like cloud storage, right? You know, the wireless internet. Now, at some point, you've got to connect a hardwired connection to get that information that then transmits wirelessly, but it's like as if that's completely removed. You got these two chairs, you write a message on one of them, and the message instantaneously, simultaneously appears on the chair out there. That's wild stuff, isn't it? But that's the basis of quantum computing, which means lightning fast retrieval of information, and that's what computer companies are trying to do. They're always trying to make processes faster. They're always trying to increase storage capacity and limited size. So quantum computing could be you've got a space station out there floating around of data that you draw your hard drives out there, you know, and, and Lee's nodding. He's probably, again, there's, I'm not the scientist. There are people in the room that are deeper into that field that can probably fine-tune correct, but but essentially, that's what we're talking about. So we're talking about the idea of two particles that are entangled, that whatever happens to one happens to the other instantaneously, even if it's information being stored there. Now, let's jump into this idea. You have the life of Christ in you. And I'm kind of hoping some light bulbs go off as the Holy Spirit takes this information, right? So, where is Jesus? 
in your heart? I know you're scared to answer, but honestly, answer. Where, there, let me just, I'll just tell you, there's not a specific right answer. Everywhere. Oh, everywhere. Let's get, let's get specific. Where is Jesus? Jesus. Seated at the right hand of the Father, in me. Where? Where else? Where is Jesus? Sitting in that chair over there, ministering to Josh with the missionary over in Pakistan that's trying to reach his brothers and sisters. With the astronauts up on the space station, we all, we all watched the space station fly over a couple of weeks or last week. That was cool. Apparently it flies over every day and a half. Did y'all know that? Um, what, where else is Jesus? Jesus is in heaven, interceding for us, right, as the high priest of the new covenant. He's in that heavenly dimension, interceding for us. He might be manifesting into some, someone's dream in the Middle East right now, telling them to go get this book. Like, think about that. He's manifesting into dreams. Now, see, when I think about spiritual dimension... I don't think of it in terms of this religious, lofty, disconnected idea. For me, it's another dimension with, with higher laws. And, and we can, we can, that's not a far stretch because you look at the quantum realm, the quantum realm observes that even bits of created matter functions differently from the laws of gravity or the laws of weak and strong nuclear force or even elect or time or any of that. Did you find the name of that? Yeah. What's the name of it? The quantum delayed choice eraser. The quantum delayed choice eraser. <laughs> now, I didn't pay him before this. The quantum delayed choice eraser. I wish I could clearly explain what that means in like a minute. But essentially, what it seems to mean is that the, the observations that you make in these double-slit type experiment affects the action of particles even in the past. Now, you go look that up, and you try to, you try to understand that on your own. So. But, so, all right, so forgetting the kind of, okay, so now that's, the, that's kind of the parable that we're looking at. We're looking at the idea that stuff, stuff like bits of matter at the smallest aspect of existence seems to operate in a way where it's not just cause and effect, it responds to human choice and presence and behavior. There's even tests done with photons where they put human DNA in a vacuum chamber and they bombarded it with photons and they were expecting, they were trying to see what the photons did to the DNA, but the DNA actually affected the the photons the bits of light and, and, and the photons rearranged themselves in response to the human DNA, which was totally opposite of what they thought would happen, right? Um, that's a whole other study out there. I think that was like Harvard or Yale or somebody that did that. But so the point is physical created matter, we're, it, it's not just deterministic in that there are these laws of physics that are determining your outcome. Your choices and behavior actually affect how matter behaves, right? So the created realm responds to the presence of mankind. That's just physicality. Let's think about Jesus, right? So Jesus is here. He's walking on water. 
Now, is that breaking the laws of physics? It's just a higher order of physics, spiritual physics, spiritual power, whatever, overriding, superseding a lower form that is our current laws of physics. Are you with me? Is this interesting? Yeah. Am I only doing this for myself? Because, I mean, it, okay. Jesus walking on water, it's not a religious, uh, it's not religious magic. Something happened in the power that he has from the dimension that he's from affecting this dimension that caused that water to be able to be walked upon. Now, whether the miracle was upon the water and it coagulated and hardened and he could walk on it, or whether he was suspended from the law of gravity and he traversed over it, did he get wet? You ever wondered if the bottom of his garment was wet? Probably was, right? And then Peter, he sees Peter. Peter's like, oh, man, call me out there, Lord. And then Peter steps out there, and he starts walking on the water too. And he don't even understand all that. He don't understand particle physics like Jesus does. But it's working for him because that power that he sees, that he, as he beholds Jesus, he becomes like him, and he starts to do the same thing that Jesus is doing. It's phenomenal. And then it says, he took his eyes off the Lord, looked at the waves, and he began to sink. You don't begin to sink. You sink. When's the last time you jumped in a pool? Did you begin to sink? Probably, oh, 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 and he's going down. Now, had he put his focus back on him, maybe he would have risen back up above it again. Jesus multiplies fish. Is that an impossibility? Or is that a higher order of laws affecting the created realm? Healing a tumor. Is that an impossibility? Is that something that shouldn't happen today because only Jesus did that? And all these religious things that we pack into our limited understanding of God. And we relegate it to say, well, no, he just did miracles to prove that he was the son of God back then. We don't have that stuff today. In fact, if you see people performing miracles today, it's just probably the devil, and we shouldn't really even try for that. Well, God chooses who he wants to heal, you see. You should, well, if you, oh, you think you can heal people? Well, why don't you go on down to the hospital and heal them all, big boy? That's the kind of stuff that gets said, and it's like, okay, that's Newtonian faith. I want to jump into quantum faith. I want to jump into a way of thinking that says, no, Jesus created this place. It responds to him. He can speak, and this created realm aligns to his will, which apparently is life and health. So then he says things like this, right? 1 John 5.20. Now, I, I, I want to kind of put this thought in your mind, this idea of quantum entanglement, a message getting encoded onto a particle. You, let me just say a few direct things. You are quantum entangled with Jesus. You are entangled with the dimension of heaven. Now, there are scriptures that say it, But when I read these things, I'm thinking laws of physics. I'm thinking, okay, in that spiritual dimension, what would the laws of physics be like? You know, like like there's there's a consistency to that dimension. It's not just floating around, you know, 
are you with me? Right? Like when we get there, we're going to look. I mean, there's no light. There's no need for a sun because God lights it up. The presence of God is everywhere. That, that is a law. That will be a law within which you can go and you can look. And if you wanted to take a microscope to it, you might be able to actually see, okay, this pure life of God is light and it's illuminating everything in that dimension. First John 5.20. All right, Sydney, I'm going to jump through a lot of these passages here. And I, and I read that the reason I'm bringing, you can go ahead and put it up. The reason I'm bringing this one is because we read this last week and it kind of connects it a little bit. But so, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Okay, so that's not just God. Okay, think of this, right? Remember how the quantum entangled information encoded on one instantaneously appears on the other? Now that's theoretical, but it can even, it's, but it's not theory in spirit. So, in other words, the knowledge and wisdom that you need from God, it's in Him. It's also in you. If you're entangled with Him, it's in you. You have the mind of Christ. Do you not have the mind of Christ? Say, I have the mind of Christ. All right, so 1 John 5, 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. We are in Him. To me, that's a, that's a statement of entanglement. That's, so then you go to Romans 8, 11. And if, the Spirit, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, say the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in me. We're just reading the Bible here. Who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. We're not talking about some religious idea where you've got to send a message up to heaven, a hardwired message through a message. You guys probably don't know those modems, do you? Did you guys have those modems? Okay, okay. Not that old. I, I mean, we all have that memorized in our brains. Right? That, 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 for those of you that don't know, that's a dial-up modem connecting to the Internet. <laughs> and then we got to transmit this information to God, and then He gets it as if He's surprised. Oh, I didn't know they were going through that. Let's see. What do I want to do about that? Nah, I think I'll let them suffer a little bit more. Send a message back down. No. That's not prayer. Your prayers are no longer sent to God through time and space. Because, you know, there is that time before the new covenant, before we were indwelt with the Spirit, we're even told. Who was it that prayed and his prayers were being... Who, who was that? Daniel. Daniel. Daniel's praying, and, and his prayers, the answer to his prayer was hindered by angels fighting in heaven, right? That's not happening anymore. Why? Because God's in you. The answerer is in you. The creator, the one with the capacity to do something about it, is in you. The life of God is in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to your physical body. 
And, and he said, look at this, the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, who raised Christ from the dead, Christ Jesus from the dead, and will give life to your physical or mortal body through his spirit who lives in you. Twice in the same sentence he says, lives in you. This is not just a religious concept of the moral judging God observing you. To me, this is, this is whatever it is that animates God, that causes Him to live, that caused Jesus to live, is in you. Think about that. It's power. It's life. It's perfect morality. It's perfect wisdom. Perfect understanding. The mind of Christ. The more I read and understand the Bible the more I recognize things that are said in different ways are actually saying pretty much the same thing, right? So think about this. The same spirit that's in you that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to your physical body. What does that look like? If this is, ha- do you, so let me ask you this. Do you think this is happening right now? How many of you think this is happening right now? What's the effect of it that? What's the effect of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, giving life to your body? What's the effect of that? Healing, all that. Okay, now, you understand the things that are invisible by observing that which is created. The immune system is giving life to your physical body. Could you say it that way? You eat ice creams and ding-dongs and ho-hos, and you're suppressing your immune system. You feed it vegetables, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, vitamins. What does your immune system do? Works better. Gives life to your physical body. Is it not that much of a stretch to say that the spirit of the living God is giving life to your physical body, just like your natural immune system is? Wow. Not just to heal you, but life. Christ in you. It's just so much bigger than we realize. You could even say the same power Jesus had to heal the woman with the issue of blood is giving healing power to you or to the person you're praying for, right? So the same spirit that raised him from the dead is giving you life. The same spirit that empowered him to heal people, that same spirit's giving you power to lay hands on people. And then he even said those things. I give you power. Go into the world. Lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. That's not just a religious idea. There's there's consistent spiritual laws that reinforce that. I I hope this is impacting you because, I mean, this is what I think about when I think about prayer. I'm not praying from the sense of, Sending a message up to God, he evaluates it, and then responds. No, I know what, how to pray because I know the will of God. Remember how we said up in 1 John 5, he sent Jesus so that you would know him. He wants you to know him. When you pray, you should know what God wants you to pray. Whether you get a word of knowledge or you just know scripturally who Jesus is and what he did in a similar situation, 
You just know the will of God. What is the will of God? Well, it's Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do in this situation? That's what you should do. And, 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 but he didn't just leave it as, let me grasp and try to make, maybe stretch it into that. He said, no, I give you this power. Go and do the same thing, the things that I do. So John 14, 12, right? Most assuredly, I say to you, say me, who, who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Why can you do those works? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. The same power that Jesus lived by when he was here is in you. The same life is in you. Luke 9, verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and See, this is where we got to get our mindsets when we think about prayer. Not just, well, I don't know the will of God. I wonder what the will of God is. Or, listen, if we have this mindset that God's controlling everything and that everything that happens because He's the all-powerful, preeminent God that created everything, that means everything that happens is part of His will because nothing would happen outside of His power. That, that, that doesn't understand the fact that God gave mankind dominion and authority over this planet for a temporary period of time. He'll take it back one day, but in the meantime, we're in charge of this place. That's why the world looks like it does. Do you think if God were in charge of this place that sin and death would have come into it? That's not to say that God is limited in His power, but He, by choice, limited the power that He would exert because he gave mankind dominion. But then this mystery happens, this mystery, Christ in you, and that same power that was in Jesus, and now you live by that same power. So then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Say, I have authority over demons, and I have authority to cure diseases. Well, you might say, well, that was just the 12. Okay, well, right after that, 70 or 72 more he did the same thing with. Okay, well, that was just for 82. Well, okay, what about the guy in the middle that was out there doing it? And John said, hey, we caught this guy out there casting out devils, and we told him to stop because he follows not with us. And what did Jesus say? Don't tell him to stop. If he's not against me, he's for me. Okay, so that was only for 83. Only 83 people could do miracles, and then it stopped. Are you with me? And yeah, I'm poking that a little bit, but I'm preaching. So Luke 10, 9, <laughs> Luke 10, 9. And this is what he said to the 70. Uh, so, and, and this is, so this is to the 70. This is not to the 12, the 70. I don't know if you pick up on that, but he had the 12. He gave them power. They went out and started doing the stuff. And then Jesus was like, we're going to need some more people. Let's send out 70 more. And they, they would go into the towns that he was about to go to, and preach and declare that the Messiah was coming or the kingdom. And the, he said, go, go. Heal. But the 70 wasn't just, because a lot of people will teach that those 70 just went out to prepare the way for him to come as if they were like marketers preparing a Jesus meeting. He also said, and heal the sick, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's to the 70 that he sent out into the towns that he was headed to. Matthew 8. 
I love this. Now, to me, again, remember the whole quantum entanglement thing, I'm, and I'm going to end on this. And I, I really don't have a bow to put on this. I kind of just wanted this to get us thinking, maybe shift your thinking about the power of prayer in terms of what actually is on the inside of you, what the will of God actually is, and demystify it a little bit by looking at some of this scientific stuff. Even the physical realm responds to mankind, but using that as a metaphor to the life being on the inside of us, establishing whatever happens to one happens to the other. All right, so, and the power that's in you. Matthew 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt. So this is just the day in the life of Jesus here, right? So a man came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if if you are willing. That's what we question. Well, is he willing? You can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone Go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Verse 5. And oftentimes he would say, your faith has made you clean. Your faith has made you whole. Be it done unto you according to your faith. He said that most times that people came to him seeking a miracle. Your faith. Now, what was their faith? Where was their faith? It was in him. And, and when he went into his hometown and, and he, could do no, he could do only a few miracles, it says, their faith wasn't in him. They didn't have faith in him. And what is faith? Faith is not your power to make God do something on your behalf. Faith is your response to who he is. So when he shows up and he's healing and he says, what do you want from me? And they're like, well, I, I want you to heal me. He's like, well, do you believe I can do this? Uh, yeah, I just, I just saw you do it to that guy. Okay, well, then be it done. You. So now you are a receptive host of the promise that I'm offering. Now you can partake of it because your heart is willing to let it manifest within you also. Be it done unto you according to your faith. Well, I've prayed. I've been sick for a long time. I've prayed for a lot of people. I know. I know. Me too. Me too. We know people right now, right now, who have... Uh, life-threatening issues and are in pain and are suffering. Have you not prayed for them? They're not yet healed? It's a very hard thing to say, well, the receptivity of that person's heart is limiting what they're allowing God to do in their life. But if we're going to be grown-up, mature Christians about it, that's what it is. It's not God withholding the healing from them. It's not God withholding from them. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of them. I mean, that's difficult. It's offensive and it's challenging. And I'm not saying they got to get stronger faith, but I might say they just need to be fully persuaded in who he is and not let the deceitfulness of riches and cares of this world and lust of other things and fear and doubt and unbelief and all that stuff worry and choke that out. I mean, are we going to be adults about this or not? It's not easy. I get it. It's not easy. So, verse 5, Jesus, Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion. A centurion is a Roman soldier. Came to him asking for help because, you know, Jews were under Roman authority at the time. 
ask, asking for help. Lord, so, so this, is, this is a Roman soldier, not a religious Jew that should have recognized Jesus when he came. Uh, this guy had no idea that the Messiah was promised to come, but here he sees Jesus, and this is how he responds. Um, verse 6, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Now, just identify with this guy for just a minute. Uh, let's see, I must be in a different translation, but I think it's okay. But now, just think about that. Do you know anybody paralyzed, suffering terribly, maybe struggling with uh, uh, disease or, or whatever it might be, right? You know somebody. This is you. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal? I'll just read what you have here. Go to the next verse, please. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Then the satyrian answered, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. This is to, I see quantum entanglement in this. <laughs> speak a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to you, the one go, and he goes, another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard that, he marveled, and he said to the, those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed. So let it be done. What? I don't like that. I don't like that. You, so if it doesn't happen, you're telling me I'm not believing. You like that? And another time, Jesus gives the prescription of how to remedy that. He says, go fast and get that prayer and unbelief out of your heart because you're the one limiting the potential here. You're the one limiting what God has promised and is seeking to allow to manifest into your life. He sent the word and he healed them. Now, you, he says, you will do the same things you've seen me do. Now, does this change? Does this give you a little bit more hope and prayer? And now you might be thinking, okay, well, the person that I'm praying for over there, are they believing and receptive? Do you think the guy that was paralyzed, that was laying there, did he, I wonder if he even knew what was, he's not even mentioned. It's, it's the centurion on behalf of his servant is asking Jesus to send the word. Now, isn't that interesting? He's, he's not saying, he didn't send a message to Jesus and then Jesus read the message and then Jesus speak the word and heal him. It was somebody with which he had authority over. Now, only in this realm, the kind of authority that you can have. You know, I'm not talking spiritual. I'm just saying it was on behalf of somebody else. Interesting, right? Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. 
There's a joke in there about in-laws, but I'm just going to keep going. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and served them. This is just a day. This is one day. When, it, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, <laughs> that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, saying, he himself took our infirmities. Now, some people, when they read Isaiah 53, and they see that Jesus bore our infirmities and bore our diseases, leave that up if you would. They say, well, it's only for your mental health and for your soul and for your salvation. It's not physical. Well, a physical healing that happened specifically says this is to testify of Jesus healing our infirmities. Physical. It's not a counseling thing. That, he didn't go and counsel Peter's mother-in-law. He healed her to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. It's physical too. You can keep going. That's it. Do you have, do you have the uh, psalm? Somehow that got left out. Did you have that in there or no? What's she saying? Oh, there. Oh, oh I didn't notice that it switched to psalm. Sorry. So, so again, so this is Psalm 107.20 as a prophecy of what the Messiah would do when he came. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Did I read that or did you skip it? Whew. That means it's time to stop. Okay, did you get anything out of that? Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to bring you down to a, now if you respond to that, raise your hand in agreement. I'm not, it, 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 it's, it's here. Now you go and do what you will. Go look up those experiments and just keep your heart open of how God would speak to you in terms of what even the observable realm would do. I mean, you can go stare at a tree and meditate on the idea of photosynthesis, of this thing taking in poisonous gas and, ex and giving out life back to itself. All of nature should testify of him. We don't have to get into the super technical stuff. If you are in doubt and unbelief toward God, you got some work to do on your own heart to sow the word in there. Know the word. God sent Jesus so that you would know him. Don't you want to know him? Know him through his word. It's not all mystical, spiritual encounters. You know, That's rare. It's the word. You can know him. Give the written word the opportunity to become the living word. And then recognize you have power and authority. Let us stop limiting our expectation in prayer. And when we pray, let's not just throw out these words, oh, you know, just these quick little prayers that don't really mean. Like when you pray without the expectation of it having effect, you're kind of sending a message back to your own heart saying, well, we really don't believe in the power of prayer. Wow. It, it's like you're saying it, and it's religious duty. And it is duty in both senses. <laughs> it's just religious. You're just saying, I don't really mean I'll pray for you, but I don't really think anything's going to happen. Don't do that. Don't pray until you have faith in your heart. Like when you sit to pray, when you, when you take time to pray, you recognize this is a special holy thing that I'm doing here. I don't want to just pray and devalue this connection that I have with the life of God that's in me that's able and willing to do something about this. 
And I'm not saying that every single thing that you're going to pray is going to make something happen, because even for Jesus, that didn't happen. But don't limit the power that's in you. Don't, don't undermine this gift of prayer. And this is not even to mention the coupling in the idea of praying with your spirit. Now, maybe we'll go into that next week. But value prayer. Step into it, recognizing you have authority and power, and pray according to God's will because you have the mind of Christ and you see Jesus and you know what the will of God is. There may be nuances and details and specific situations that you've got to pray through. I get that. I'm not trying to say you're going to know exactly every single specific detail, but He does and you're entangled with Him and He's on the inside of you. To me, that's where the unknown tongue comes in. You don't know what to pray for, but He does. Are you with me? Yes. Are you, you feel something on the inside? I'm going to pray powerful prayers. Yes. Amen? Amen? So let's just stand up on our feet. And we want to offer prayer today. I, I was going to take some time to collectively pray, but I'll, I'll let you go ahead and get out of here. But those of you that are on the prayer team, if you would, and we've got some prayer team training that we're working on. And one of the things is that I want you to do, if, you, if you're on the prayer team and you come up here, be ready to see uh, God, be ready to see a miracle because we expect miracles, right? I'm not trying to hype revival, but I want to see the power of God move. I don't want our prayer team up here and it's just, well, I'll kind of go up there and go through this little religious exercise. No, I, I want us collectively to expect and realize, no, the power, there's power. There's power on the inside of us and it's effective and powerful to do things. And I'm not just going to go casually. I'm going to expect, but I'm also not going to judge God on the backside. I'm going to keep my heart open, and maybe sometimes it's just that continual prayer, and there's a tipping point of the heart being persuaded, right? But prayer is powerful. Let's not undermine it. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the plan of salvation in Christ. Thank you for actually placing your life-giving spirit on the inside of us, and we don't want to limit what you would want to do through us. We want to shine brightly. What was that? Mike, you said a quote the other day. Where'd, where'd Mike go? Was that Irenaeus? I just opened my eyes. He was gone. He vanished. He was like, did he phase into the waveform? Yeah. <laughs> it was Irenaeus. It said something like, uh, you know, uh, God glorified is man fully alive or something like that, you know. I, I want the fullness of God birthing in me and you. So, Father, we yield to you. We trust you. I will pray with power and believe to see you move through me. Amen, amen, amen.